Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Stephen, Jared, and I are kind of holding down the fort. Paul is, Pastor Paul is at, uh, he's actually probably on his way home right now and driving home, but he went to Global Awakenings Greater Things Conference in Oklahoma City. So that's where he is. And Pastor Steve is on vacation for the next two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's good. Vacations are good and necessary. So that's where they are. Pastor Paul will be back next week and then Steve will be back in a couple weeks, not next week, the week after. Um, I just have a couple more like things to share. I first of all wanna thank you all so much for all the prayers, texts, reaching out about my grandma. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, she passed away last week and I was home in Maryland uh, with her and with the family and it was bittersweet time, but it was really, really, really good and powerful and just, I was really happy I got to go and to be there in the funeral was so sweet. Um, but I probably didn't answer 90% of the text I got. So it's not that I was ignoring you. It's just I was being present with family. But I appreciated it. I read them all. Uh, they really meant a lot to me. I just was being present with my family during that time. So thank you all so much. She was 95 and a half years old. She lived a wonderfully long life. Didn't die of sickness or anything like that. It was just her time to go and be with the Lord. Um, and we are just like over thrilled that we got her for this long and got her to have her as a part of our family and our life. So yeah, those are kind of the questions people have been asking me. And then I have another announcement. Um, the Fleming family, for those of you who don't know, they have three kids, Landon, Sawyer, and Quincy, which Quincy's right over there, and their grandma, Cynthia. Uh, Sawyer, two weeks ago two weeks ago, was diagnosed with type B cell lymphoma. So he's 14 years old. Um, they got news. I visited them Friday. They got news the day before that it's not in his bone marrow or in his spinal fluid. So it cut his treatment down from like over a year to four months. It's a super high success rate from what they were telling me, like 90, in the high 90s of his success for being treated for it. But as you can imagine, shocker to the family out of nowhere and shocker to have to walk through that and go through that. He'll have to spend like a week in the hospital getting chemo and then a couple days home and then a week back in the hospital. So he'll spend probably more time in the hospital over these next months than at home. So if you could just be praying for their family, uh, praying for them to have strength and grace, praying for the Lord to continue to be with them. He's getting chemo as we speak this morning. Uh, he has responded remarkably well to the chemotherapy and hasn't had any really side effects or anything like that so much so that his dad said to me, I actually asked the doctor, did you really give him chemotherapy? Because <laughs> he's just responding remarkably well. He has a great attitude and they know the Lord's with them in it and it has been um, little tiny miracles and even how they found it, they caught it within weeks of it developing because he had an allergic reaction to something and his cheeks swell, swelled up so much that they took him to the hospital. And then the nurse and doctor just kind of did a check and found it on his windpipe. So it's even like a miracle how they caught it so early and all these different things. So they know the Lord is with them, but if you guys could keep them in prayer. And then I do ask if you guys want to send them food or anything like that, please go through me. I'll be the liaison for them uh, to communicate with the family and to give them anything that they need because I know you guys are 
super generous and giving and kind, but I don't want to overwhelm the family too much with our generosity (laughs) while they're going through this. So, all right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day, God. I thank you for who you are, Jesus. I thank you. Well, I thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us? God, would you let your words flow and your heart flow this morning? And Jesus, we just want you. We just want you. You're the one who transforms lives. You're the one who imparts your spirit. You're the one who empowers us. God, we want you and nothing else. So would you come this morning? Amen. All right, I am gonna be teaching out of John 11. Yeah, it's a great chapter. Great chapter in scripture. And there is so much to this chapter. I recognize that. I also recognize you could teach on this chapter for probably a year if you really get into the nitty gritties of it. Um, So I recognize there will be things I'm like kind of glossing over and flying through because there's a specific thing that I feel like God asked me to talk about this morning. Uh, Our theme has been coming to Jesus and I actually had nothing, I'll be totally honest, and from just the chaos of the mornings and like staying up all night, holding my grandma's hand and then planning the funeral and everything and coming back and just getting into life, I just had nothing. And I told the Lord, I have nothing, Lord. And it was about two nights ago, he woke me up in the morning, 5.36 a.m. with one of my alarms in my house was going off. I woke up, I got out of bed and I went to find it. Couldn't, couldn't find where it was and it stopped. So whatever, it just stopped. <laughs> and I laid back in bed and as soon as I laid back in bed, the Lord dropped this passage into my heart and into my spirit. Um, so I really feel like it's a word for us now. And I'm gonna be talking about coming to Jesus in the midst of our greatest loss and pain and grief. We've all experienced them at some point in our life. Every one of us experiences loss and grief. And in this passage, it'll deal with an actual death of someone in their family. But grief is so much more encompassing and loss is so much more encompassing than that. There's loss in prophetic callings that you feel like you were called to, but life just worked out a different way. There's loss in job. There's loss in family members. There's loss in seasons of life. Like you see this with parents when they, kids all move out of the house and all of a sudden they're empty nesters. And there's a grieving period for those seasons of having all the kids at home and having that kind of environment in their home. And so there's all sorts of different losses that we experience in life. And we all go through grief. And how we respond to grief in the midst of the presence of Jesus will determine everything about where we're going in the future. It will determine everything. And I love this story because you can see yourself in so many of the characters. And for me, as I was reading it, I could see different seasons of my life and different characters in the story different times where I did respond more like Martha and different times where I did respond more like Mary and all of these moments where I didn't quite 
know how to be fully myself in front of Jesus. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I didn't know how to show him every side of myself. I grew up um, in Maryland, as you guys know, but I wasn't really a crier. Like I never was the crying kind of kid. If I had moods, it was I would get moody and go off by myself kind of thing. I just wasn't, I wasn't the tear and the sobs. I didn't go through the teenage girl phase where you start crying all the time because your hormones are going up and down. That just never was really me. Uh, If I did cry, it would be at home in my bed at night by myself where no one could see me. And that's the only place that I felt I could fully just like let go and be fully myself. And so those were the only times and the only seasons. And I remember growing up, I used to wear it as like a badge of honor. This is what it means to be strong, right? You don't show as much emotion. You don't... um, You don't just like feel things as deeply. You're steady, you're steadfast, you're faithful. You always have a good face. And that's what I believed, that that's what it meant to be strong. And it wasn't until my dad died six years ago and I spent every day for months, months and months, probably almost six months, upstairs at Bernie and Vicky's house after work at night on my face, sobbing my eyes out. And I thought something was wrong with me because no one could possibly grieve this deeply over something. Something has to be wrong with me. Something has to be different, especially since this isn't my norm and not something I'm used to ever in my entire life. I just don't feel like that. Um, But the Lord in that season said to me, Colleen, those who grieve deeply have loved deeply. And it switched my paradigm on what it means to feel and what it means to really embrace and have these emotions that we have throughout our life. That love is costly and it does cost us something. It costs your heart. And loving Jesus is no different. It costs your heart. And it costs you being willing to let him in to the places that are uncomfortable and we don't always like to let people into and embracing him in those moments. So I love this story now. Um, I'm still not super comfortable with crying myself. I'm comfortable with other people crying myself. I'm still getting used to crying. And I just went on this journey even like through counseling, goodness gracious, three and a half years of counseling after my dad died of learning to get in touch with the depth of my emotion and learning all the time where I would go in the counselor's office and be like, da, 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 And they would say, okay, but how does that make you feel? I'd be like, what are you talking about? I just told you everything I know. And that's what we do. We come up with these lists and we analyze and we're so analytical and we can go in our mind of this, 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 this. But Jesus is after your heart. He's after your heart. He's after your deep calling out to his deep. And in the Western world, it's not a comfortable thing. It's really not a comfortable thing. And in different cultures, it's even more uncomfortable to show emotion in those kind of ways. So we're gonna go through the death of Lazarus. 
and watch how Jesus enters in and ministers to those around him. So I'm just gonna start in verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So a couple things, Jesus gets news of Lazarus dying. He gets the news, he knows it's happening. And his immediate response is, this is for God's glory, he's not gonna die. He knows immediately what the father is doing. He knows immediately what's gonna happen in this situation. He knows immediately what he's gonna do and how he is going to respond. Yet, Martha and Mary have no idea. They have no idea what Jesus is thinking or what he's doing. They're at home watching their brother die. They have no idea that he said this to his disciples. It's not like they could FaceTime and Jesus immediately said, hey, he's not gonna die, it's gonna be okay. No, they have no idea what's happening. And they're just in the chaos and the moment of feeling this thing and walking it out. While Jesus says, I know it's for God's glory. And then after that, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. What sense does that make? Aren't we taught that when we love someone, we run to their aid? Aren't we taught that Jesus loves us so much that he immediately comes and rescues us? He immediately delivers us. He immediately heals us. He immediately is going to come to our aid because he loves us. And yet this passage of scripture tells us he loved them so he stayed two days longer in the place he was. And it doesn't make sense in our rational mind. If I have my closest friends and they're going through a crisis, I run to them. Always, I run to them. I wanna be with them. I wanna hold them. I wanna be there while they're going through it. But Jesus' love is different. You see, it's not that he didn't care that they were going through a crisis, but his love for them mattered more in that they would see the fullness of his glory. That was his love for them. That they would exhibit an that, not that they would exhibit, that they would get to see a different side of him than they've ever known before. His love for them caused him to delay because he knew that they needed to experience the fullness of what he had for them. If he would have run and healed Lazarus right then and there, then they would have missed the moment of what God wanted to do in their lives. Oftentimes when we go through delays, it's not because God has forgotten you or is upset with you or has left you, but that there's something he's doing in the delay that matters more than answering the prayer that you think matters the most. It matters. His love for them caused him to stay longer. He knew 
that what he was going to do for them was beyond their wildest dreams. They never could have imagined that he was going to raise their brother from the dead. We know that happens, which if you didn't know, spoiler alert, Lazarus comes back from the dead. But they never could have imagined that. They couldn't have fathomed the way that God was going to use this very thing they're going through in the midst of their life. When my dad died, uh, my grandma went in this like crazy grief period. It was his, her second son that she had lost both of her youngest kids. And um, she would like lay on the couch in the mornings and just like groan. And we thought surely she's got months after my dad died. Like we just knew there's no way she's making it through this. She's going downhill fast kind of thing. And in that season of when I was grieving and praying to the Lord, the Lord said to me so clearly, your grandma will die in a season of extreme transition for you. And I, you don't know what that means. You're just like, okay, cool, cool, Lord. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to even process that. And I'm like, this is an extreme transition. My dad just died and I just moved to Albuquerque. So maybe God's just saying she'll go. And every time that something happened that we thought she would go, I would look at my life and be like, I guess. And you try to fit these pieces in, right? To make things work and to make it be comprehensible in your mind. And yet his ways are not our ways. They're higher and he's doing something that's even greater than you could ever imagine. And I actually didn't even remember that word until my grandma, I got called that she was on her deathbed. And the Lord said to me, do you remember when I said this? I didn't even remember it. I never could have fathomed in this season where I'm getting ready to move cross country, getting ready to get into a new ministry, getting ready to start totally different things would be the season that this would happen in. Never could have fathomed. But it's one of those moments in life where Jesus is so near and so with you that you don't even know or understand all he's doing. So he stays two days longer and then he tells to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now the disciples, I'm gonna paraphrase this part because then I'm gonna skip down. The disciples fight him on it. They're like, wait a second, we're gonna get stoned, we're gonna get beaten, we just faced extreme opposition in Judea. Why are we going back there? Lord, you're surely gonna die if you go back there. There's no reason for us to go there. So they're even fighting him in this moment. So you have Jesus who knows God is getting ready to do a crazy miracle and through him and bring about a resurrection. And he also knows that it's the very thing that will lead to his death on the cross. This is the final nail in the coffin that gets the Jewish religious leaders to try him. It's the final thing that they say, okay, enough. So he's wrestling with all these things. And then you have his followers who all of a sudden tell him, don't go. Don't go, it's gonna be too hard, it's gonna be too difficult. Don't go, don't you know what you're getting yourself into? Don't go. And I love at the very end, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What a beautiful 
foreshadowing of what will happen to the disciples. Jesus will die, and eventually every single one of them will give their lives for him. Let us go that we may also die with him. It's the heart of those who follow the Lord. You can't follow the Lord without experiencing death in your life. And for some, the Lord will call to be martyred and experience a physical death. But for others of us, he will break you and break you and break you and break you because he wants his glory to shine out of you. He wants it to come and be so bright and so brilliant that people get in your presence and they can't help but to say, what do you have that's so different than everyone else around me? We must be willing to die with him. We must be willing to die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But, Martha, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So we get to our first person who is in the presence of Jesus after their biggest loss and their grief. And Martha is this type A personality. She takes charge, she gets it done. She's a little more anxious than her sister and she's just gotta make things happen. So she runs out to Jesus before he's even in her town because she's gotta meet him and be the first one to tell him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This wouldn't have happened. She goes through the very first thing that we go through when we face a moment like this of what ifs. What if this would have happened? What if I would have done this? What if I would have just taken that right rather than that left? I wouldn't have gotten that car accident. What if I would have waited? Then what would have happened? And we go through what if after what if after what if after what if. But I love it because Jesus doesn't rebuke her what ifs. He doesn't come to her and say, you of little faith. He doesn't rebuke anything that she's going through because in the midst of your greatest loss, sometimes that's all you can do is to just keep going and keeping yourself busy and keep going and going and going. In my time around people who grieve, I'm always amazed at the different ways that people grieve. It's incredible how different we are and how differently we all process. I'm like the wailing right away kind of person and I wail and wail and wail and then I'm fine. And like my mom, it took her a year before she could even begin to feel and start to wail because she just couldn't enter into that kind of pain in that kind of place. 
And so that's where Martha is. She can't enter in to the moment that she's in and the time she's in and the season she's in. She just can't do it. So she asks and goes through all her what ifs. And then she goes through her list of her faith statements and her theology. Whatever you ask, God will give you. I know that my brother will rise again someday. That was a very common Jewish teaching of the resurrection of the dead at the end times. I know that he'll rise again someday. And she goes through all of her theology, all of her faith, all of her prayers, everything she has to offer. And Jesus responds to her by bringing the future into the present moment right now by saying, I don't want resurrection to be a doctrine. I want you to recognize it's the person of who I am. It's me in my fullness, in the personhood of Christ, I am the resurrection. And everywhere I go, there is resurrection. I can't be anywhere where resurrection is not also. It doesn't exist and it can't happen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so he answers her and you can see that Martha is like, I believe this. And she affirms who Jesus is. You are the Christ. You are the son of God. You're the Messiah. But then it's like she hits a wall and she can't continue on. She doesn't know how to engage with Jesus anymore. I've definitely been in those seasons where I'm like, okay, I said all my prayers not feeling anything, not hearing anything, not seeing anything. So I'm just gonna go and go away. And that's where Martha is. She's in the season where she still runs to Jesus. She still has faith. He's not rebuking her response. It's not a bad response. She's going through what she knows to go through, but she's not moving his heart. She's not actually causing him to perform the very thing she needs in her life. She responds in a different way. And some of us, that's where we live with Jesus. And we ask him, God, why haven't you answered this prayer? Why haven't you answered this prayer? Why haven't you answered this prayer? And he is asking, when are you gonna let your walls come down? When are you gonna let your walls of your religious answers come down, your religious upbringing come down? When are you gonna let all your walls that keep people at a distance come down so I can come in? When is it gonna happen? And Martha doesn't even know how to engage in that. He's right in front of her and she has to leave the conversation. She doesn't know what to do or what to say. So when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. She says the same exact words in the same prayer that her sister does. There's no difference. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died, but her posture is completely different. Her heart before him is completely different. She doesn't go on to say all the right things or to go through everything she knows how or to go through her doctrines or to go through her theology or to go through all of these things. She falls in her brokenness and says, here I am, God. Here I am, the fullness of me. I have nothing else to give except my heart. And her prayer moved him. Her weeping moved him. Her weeping caused him to say, right after this, where is he? Her weeping was the very thing that pulled in the resurrection that Christ was going to do and accomplish. The very thing. Her willingness to be fully and completely herself in the midst of her brokenness and her pain and her whatever she was feeling, her confusion. You have to think they knew when Jesus got the message. They can calculate those kind of things. They probably knew how long it would take him. They knew where he was. It was a day's journey and yet he's this many days later. How confusing that would be to them. These are disciples of his, people he's walked with, people he loves. They even refer to the people you love need you. All the confusion inside of her, all the chaos, the storm of losing someone who means the world to her. And all she can do is fall at his feet. He doesn't rebuke her either. She let the circumstances she was in cut her and move her. She didn't miss the moment and say, well, I just need to put on a good face and a brave face. I just need to keep going and keep walking and keep going through. She let it cut her. She let it wound her. She let her love for her brother make her feel so deeply that all she had was sobs to give. All she had was sobs to give. And in our culture, so often we celebrate the Marthas. Look at them, they're handling that so well. I can't believe how well they're doing. I can't believe they are just so okay. Look at how amazing they are. Look at how much strength they must have and how much grace they must have. But it's the Mary that moves his heart to bring about the things they need. It's the Mary who's broken, broken. And can you imagine the multitudes of people around her and she doesn't care. She just says, God, here I am. She runs to Jesus. She doesn't lose faith, but her posture before him is completely different. Her deep is crying out to his deep. And when that happens, it brings about the resurrection that they need. I love that Jesus in this whole story, he doesn't skip the process. He knows what he's gonna do from the get-go. We read in verse like three, that he knows Lazarus isn't gonna die and it's gonna be for the glory of God. And yet he doesn't 
allow the process to be skipped. He enters into the valley of the shadow of death with them. It's necessary that he enters into the valley of the shadow of death. It's necessary that they go through that tension in this moment in time. He doesn't deliver them from it. He doesn't say, here I am, I'm gonna make everything better. He allows them to be exactly in the moment they're in. In fact, he needs them to be in this moment that they're in because they can't experience the fullness of what he has for them if they don't feel this moment and if they don't experience it. Her tears move him. They move him to act on her behalf. William Booth um, is the founder of the Salvation Army, and it's one of my like favorite stories. First of all, his life is crazy. Um, in ministry school, we would like study revivalists, and he was just one who caught my eye. And if you didn't know, the Salvation Army was founded in the England area, and they were crazy on fire, like crazy on fire. His quote that he would tell to the people in his army, as he called them, the people helping him, was go for souls and go for the worst of them. So they would set up their places in the worst places in society, in the slums, in the drug addicted neighborhoods, in the neighborhoods where crime was outrageous. And his success rate was so insane that everywhere he went, the altars would just be full. His like truck broke down one time and he gets up on his truck while they're fixing it and preaches to all these miners there and like 700 miners get saved in that moment. He says two words to them and they just give their lives and get saved. But the price that they paid was they were beaten and tarred and killed and kicked to death everywhere they went. It happened. He came home more nights bloody than he did not. And I love that his wife just prayed for him every night. They would say every night she would sit there and pray for him. What a wife to have as you're coming home bloody every day. And she sits there and lays hands on you and prays for you. But the story I wanna say is he had these workers who were in this part, and I believe it was in London, though I could be getting the location wrong. They were in this uh, slum in this neighborhood in London, and they were doing everything they had been taught how to do. They were making the clothes, they were feeding, they were preaching the gospel, and they were exhausted. They weren't seeing anything happen. Day and night, they would just go and go and go. And they sent word to William Booth and asked him, can you move us somewhere else? We'll go anywhere else. We've tried everything we know how to do. Can you move us to somewhere else? And he sends back word to them, two words, try tears. Try tears. And these two women spent the next months on their face crying to the Lord and praying. And you know what? A revival came to that area as their tears moved God. We wanna see the homeless delivered. We wanna see the drug addicts delivered. We wanna see people come to know the Lord. You have to be willing to weep over them. You have to be willing to allow the Lord's compassion to move inside of you and to break you and to hurt you for the people that he's calling you to love. You have to be willing to weep over them. You have to be willing to feel his heart. 
to have compassion on the homeless and the circumstances in their life that led them to get to where they are, to have compassion on those who are drug addicted and the fact that they don't know their identity and the lies they've believed all these years and how much hell that must be to live in, to have compassion on the family members who don't know Christ and not just to preach at them, but to be willing to weep over them and prayer for them. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was called to trafficking ministry when one night I was praying and all of a sudden I started weeping for the traffickers, the pimps, the people who are keeping these girls and these children in this awful situation that in my natural self has every right to be angry, say it's ridiculous and say they deserve every bad thing I can think of to happen to them. And yet, in my heart and in my spirit of being connected with the Lord, all I can do is weep over them. Weep over the circumstances that led them to where they are. Weep over the fact that they think money is God. Weep over the lies that they believe and they have no idea what they believe and what the truth is to weep over them. What are the areas in your life that you need to try tears in? That you need to let the situation cut you a little bit that you need to be willing to feel it and to allow God to break your heart for it. Not just to have the right answers, not just to have the religious mindset, not just to say the prayers, but to really be moved by it, to allow a change and a shift to happen. To really, really feel it. Try tears. What a simple response and yet a profound thing to move a region, try tears. Put down your what ifs and all your reasoning and all your deductions and try tears. Try feeling the moment. Try allowing the heart of God and the depth of him to pour into your depth. And then the, so he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the next verse, Jesus wept. He wept. Every time I've heard someone speak on this, they've always just kind of glazed over it and glossed over it and moved on to the power of the resurrection. That's what we all want. And yet the holiness of this moment of the Son of God standing before people who were gonna turn him over to authorities, before people he loved, before people who didn't know him and opening his heart and weeping. What a holy moment. What a holy moment. And every commentary I read tried to like dissect why he's weeping. Why is he weeping in this moment? his hatred of death, the final enemy, his sorrow, his compassion. And they dissect and dissect and dissect. But I love this intercessor. His name's Corey Russell. And he released this like album about the gift of tears. And in it, he says, put down your clipboards and your analytical minds and look at the beautiful man weep. Let it touch you. Let it wash over you. The word became flesh. The word who was in the beginning, the creator of the heavens and the earth, opening his heart and weeping. 
weeping and weeping and weeping. And if you've ever seen someone really weep, it's ugly. There is snot everywhere. It is loud. There is groanings that are coming from the inwards of their being, just weeping. And Jesus weeping before them. Entering into the valley of the shadow of death with them. If I don't have a God who weeps, then I don't have a God who can wipe away every tear from my eye. Then I don't have a God who can walk with me in my pain, in my sorrow. If I don't have a God who weeps, then I don't have a God who I can be intimate with in the midst of my weeping. I need a God who weeps. And it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. To really watch someone weep makes us uncomfortable. And most of us want to crawl out of our skin and run away as fast as humanly possible. But we need a God who weeps. We need the one who will wipe away our tears. I was saying last night, what an intimate act to wipe away the tear from someone's eye. What an intimate act that God would get that close to me to be able to touch my skin and wipe the tear that's coming out of my tear duct. That doesn't only require physical intimacy, that requires emotional intimacy. That requires trust. That requires commitment and knowing that they have my best interest at heart. The kind of people who wipe tears from your eyes are like parents with their children, spouses together. Like that's the kind of intimacy we're talking about of wiping a tear from your eye. I'm not gonna let some stranger come up to me and just start wiping tears from my eye. I'm gonna run away from that person and be like, why are you touching me? Honestly, we have to be willing to have that kind of intimacy with the Lord. Do you have it? Are you willing to let him get that close to you that he touches your very soul? Are you willing to let him come and wipe away your tears? He wept for them. Probably a long, uncomfortable time he wept. As the storm brewing inside of him as he gets to go to the cross and fulfill his ultimate purpose on the earth is coming to its climax. He weeps and weeps and weeps. And his tears are connected to her tears. His tears wouldn't have been brought forth if she hadn't have had the boldness and the freedom to just be and let herself grieve and let herself say, here I am, Lord. In all of myself, here I am. We have to have the seasons of brokenness for resurrection life to come. We have to be willing to enter in to the seasons of brokenness for resurrection life to come. 
to not put on a facade and not put on the right words and not say all the right things and continue to just do and do and do and keep ourselves busy. We have to be willing to let the Lord break us if we want resurrection life to come. We have to be willing to. And in this story, Mary and Martha get a crazy miracle that they never could have imagined in their brother actually being raised from the dead. But so many of us don't always have that kind of happy ending in our story. And yet the resurrection life of what Jesus will use that for, because Romans 8.28 says he'll use all things for the good and the glory of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose is worth it. It's worth the pain and the suffering and the trials. It's worth it. Because there's still a resurrection he's gonna bring out of it. And the pain might hurt. It might kill you. It might bring you to the point of death, but you have to go through it. You have to go through it if you wanna receive the fullness of what he has for you. I entered a season where uh, I was trying to like get into the next season. I knew the Lord had called me to it. I knew he was asking me to do it. And I just kept knocking at all the doors and they wouldn't go down. And so then I'm like kicking them, trying to get them down because I know that I know that I know this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm gonna keep knocking and keep pursuing. And finally, I went to the Lord in prayer and said, what the heck is going on, Lord? I am going and going and going. You asked me to do this. Why isn't anything happening? And he said to me, you haven't fully grieved what you need to grieve in order to go into the next season. And I wasn't going through anything major. It wasn't like when my dad died, I wasn't going through any kind of major grief, but because I hadn't fully felt some of the hard things I had gone through and I had glossed over them, if I wouldn't have taken the time to grieve that season, in this new season, I would have fallen because those things would have come back up. We have to grieve in order for resurrection life to happen. We have to let him touch our heart and move us and allow his compassion to flow through us so that he can bring about the new thing that he wants to do. And you guys can go ahead and stand as I'm gonna close. This is out of N.T. Wright's, like it's just his commentary for everyone. Come and see, they respond, as Jesus had responded to the early disciples' inquiry as to where he was staying. It is the simplest of invitations, and yet it goes to the heart of Christian faith. Come and see, we say to Jesus, as we lead him, all tears, to the place of our deepest grief and sorrow. Come and see, he says to us in reply, as he leads us through the sorrow to the place where he now dwells in light and love and resurrection glory. And even more evocative, come and have breakfast. The new day is dawning. And though where we live, the night can be very dark and the tears very bitter, there is light and joy waiting not far away. Come and see. Come and see him. Come and see the beauty of his face. 
the beauty of him looking at you and saying, I'm with you and I'm in it through it all. Come and see as he ministers and pours out his love yet again and come and see as you get real with the Lord, really get real with him, what he does in your life and in your heart. Come and see.